In April 2017, we lost one of the greatest musical adventurers we've ever known, Louis Sarno. Louis devoted his life to the music and struggles of the Bayaka Pygmies of Central African Republic. In his memory, we bring you an encore presentation of our 2010 Hibdi program, Seize the Dance, the Biaka of Central Africa. Biaka Pygmies in the Central African Republic performing Mabu, a dance to bring good fortune to hunters in the forest. Hello, Georges Collinet with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. Welcome to a very special hip-deep edition of our program, Seize the Dance, the Biaka of Central Africa. The Biaka are one of the groups we often refer to as pygmies. The recording we are hearing was made in the late 80s by Michel Kisliuk, now a professor at the University of Virginia and the author of a brilliant book called Seize the Dance. Michel has spent years living with Biaka and learning to understand and perform their songs and dances. We'll be hearing shortly from Michel and her husband, Justin Mongoso. First, I have to tell you that this subject is near and dear to my heart. Growing up in Cameroon, I've known pygmies all my life. My best friend, actually, Madou, was a pygmy. One day, he took me on a hunting trip with his family. It was amazing. Pygmies, as you know, have a deep knowledge of the animals in the forest. That's why they are such good hunters. I tell you, I could talk forever about these hunting trips. But before we meet our guests, let's hear more of the fabulous forest polyphony of the Biaka. Sango Boabole, a song from the Mabo hunting dance of the Biaka Pygmies. Georges Collinet with you on Afropop Worldwide's Hip Deep Edition. Seize the dance, the Biaka of Central Africa. Major support for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts. Okay, time to meet our principal guide for this forest excursion. My name is Michelle Kisliuk. I'm currently an associate professor of music. I teach ethnomusicology and performance studies at the University of Virginia. The first African music that I learned was Eve music from Ghana and Togo in college from Professor David Locke. That taught me something very profound about what participation can teach you about other sensibilities and about yourself. So when I heard Biaka music recorded by Simha Rome, the famous recording that he made in the Bayanga area, um, it influenced Herbie Hancock, Zap Mama, many other people. When I heard that as a student, it so completely overwhelmed me with its beauty that I thought, well, if I could learn how it works enough to be able to join in, then 
you know, I would have spent my life well. <laughs> we are hearing Sima Rom's recording of a Indewu whistle solo. If it sounds familiar, you might be thinking of this. Hancock with his 1973 song Watermelon Man from the album Headhunters, a landmark in jazz history. Pygmy singing has found its way into all sorts of popular music over the years. It was sampled in the ambient club mixes of Deep Forest, a surprise international hit in 1992. Polyphonic Pygmy singing turned up in the innovative a cappella sound of Zap Mama on their debut release from David Byrne's Luakabop label. The CD was Adventures in Afropia. Zap Mama, circa 1993. And Pygmy music continues to crop up in mainstream pop songs, most recently on a track by Madonna. Pygmy sounds are entrancing, magical, electric, with an air of mystery. But today, we're going to take you to the source, the Central African forest. And with help from Michel, we'll try to demystify the people who live there. the forest people in the Central African Republic refer to themselves as Beaka. The root word is Aka. The plural is Beaka. Um, some people say Bayaka. Um, in the area where I worked, they say Biaka. Their neighbors call them Bambinga. And in English or French, they're referred to as pygmies or pygmy. Unfortunately, um, both pygmy or pygmies and bambinga have been used pejoratively. So when I do decide to use the word pygmy, I explain that that's the only word in English that refers in general to a whole group, many groups of people who live across the equatorial rainforest and speak different languages and refer to themselves by different names. In Cameroon, the government once had a campaign of saying that you cannot refer to the forest people as pygmies, but you had to refer to them as citoyens, citizens. And then one time I used the term citizen or citoyen just in passing with someone, and they thought I was insulting them and calling them a pygmy. So it gets very complicated. <laughs> Other pygmy groups include the Efe, Bambuti, Chua, Baka. Their oldest origins are a subject of debate. Most people believe the pygmies were once a single group that became dispersed during the Great Bantu Expansion. Keep in mind, this is a big area we're talking about. The largest uninterrupted expanse of rainforest in the world. 
It covers parts of Cameroon and Gabon, both Congos, and spans across the southern Central African Republic. Michel says that the Biaka lifestyle keeps them on the move. They live in small, cooperative, extended family groups, and they get together in larger groups during different times of the year, and then they'll separate into their smaller family groups for certain kinds of hunting seasons and honey season and caterpillar season. Ah, yes, caterpillar season, my favorite. Those grilled palm caterpillars are delicious. <laughs> One thing we can say about all the forest peoples is that they were apparently not victims of the colonial slave trade, either by Europeans or Arabs. Biak are very mobile. They have ways of being where they want to be and disappearing from places they don't want to be. It's a survival strategy. And during the colonial period, what I read and what I heard was that they would go further into the forest and the villagers who wanted to avoid the brutality of the colonial concessionary companies and others would join them in these forest camps and they were able to keep some distance from the forced labor, collecting rubber, other kinds of forced labor. I don't believe that any of the forest people were captured and sold into slavery. I think they would have been very hard to access. So I would say that when Robert Ferris Thompson said that the yodel of the pygmies love in the blues, he was being a poetic. Howlin' Wolf. But generations back, Biaka neighbors, such as Bagandu people, had a culture relatively parallel to Biaka. They yodeled, they did net hunting. So if people like Bagandu people or their neighbors were captured, they could have also come directly with a kind of a forest yodel that isn't, according to Biaka, isn't as good as their own, but is reminiscent and is sometimes quite virtuosic. Kind of makes you listen differently to those old Alan Lomax recordings of fife and drum music in Mississippi. We are hearing Sid Hampill on ten-note quills. This is a song recorded by Sima Arom around 1960. the sound that first caught the ear of Michel Kisiok. But she soon found that this beautiful music also inspired a lot of romantic thinking about the forest people, what she calls a utopian narrative. This utopian narrative has a consistent sense of binary opposite. So either forest people need to be seen as sort of living in an Eden or as sort of fallen, <laughs> tarnished. They're not living in the pure way that they ideally should be. And in that case, they're vulnerable to the ideas of missionaries and 
other people who would like to change them. So they end up being caught in the middle of other people's utopian or fallen utopian ideas. One of the books that linked a utopian idea of the forest people with an idea of their music was the famous book by Colin Turnbull, published in 1960. The book was called The Forest People. Turnbull was an anthropologist who became very well known because his writing was extremely accessible and personal. He was also an irritant to a number of professional anthropologists because of how accessible and personal his writing was. Turnbull was also influential, a crucial catalyst in raising awareness about the music of the forest peoples. I met Colin Turnbull as a graduate student. That was one of the things that spurred me to travel to Central Africa and learn about the music, because in fact he couldn't teach me how to sing any of this music that he was so fond of. This came as a surprise to Michel especially because he was interested in performance and in theater, and he was a very musical person, so I didn't quite understand that, except that he hadn't been trained the way I had to learn African music in a way that you could then teach it and join in. Okay, we fast forward now a few years to the mid-1980s, when Michelle went to the Central African Republic to begin her research. It turns out that Biaka, like other pygmies, have a special relationship with their non-pygmy neighbors. In this case, the Bagandou. There isn't a one-to-one correlation with any relationships that most of us know. It's somewhere between family relationship and patron-client relationship. So Biaka, when they come out of the forest, live near their parallel Bagandou clan and work for them in exchange for Western clothing, corn whiskey, cigarettes, and sometimes more useful things, like cooking pots, tools, or even medical care. Actually, they did the same with my family, bringing bush meat in exchange of goods and protection from locals who feared pygmies, thinking they were witches. But back to Michelle. In order to reach the Biaka, she needed help from a Bagandou villager. And the man who helped her, and whom she later married, was Justin Mongosso. I'm Justin Mongosso Serge. I'm villager Mbolongo in my clan. And when I was young, about five, six years, I get to know pygmies. And uh, it was a privilege for me to get to know them because it was a big barrier between my people and, and them. Most people of my age did have the opportunity to make this connection. There was a language barrier. Villagers speak Dingando and the lingua franca Sango, but Biaka speak Diaka. I learned Diaka before I went to French uh, school. That's why I, I developed the ability to know them. And when I become 25, 24, I start my own research. I start to teach my people, people from my age, to change their uh, attitude uh, to pygmies. But it's not over yet. It's a struggle. Even now, people of my age I cannot speak Diaka. They see Diaka like a very low language to speak in public. So I was really uh, lucky to get to, to learn the language. And Michel was lucky to meet Justin, not only because he would become her future husband, he was the perfect liaison to the Biaka. Justin first took Michel to a Biaka camp about three days' walk from his village. And there, she began her own education. Over time, Michelle became intrigued by a solo women's dance called Elamba. Now, to dance Elamba, you have to be initiated. 
And for that, Michel and Justin had to make a much longer journey, over land and by river, into the Republic of Congo, to meet the mother of the Elamba dance, a woman named Bongoy. It was an arduous journey getting there, but when we finally met Bongoy, she offered to induct me. Now, she had just lost her daughter in childbirth, so she was unable to be very active in my instruction, but she was able to induct me. So the induction consisted of little razor cuts. I didn't really know this until it came the time. Tiny little razor cuts in the back of the neck on the shoulders, on the back of the hips, on the back rear side of the knee, and on top of the foot near the big toe. The traditional practice in this whole area is the idea of sort of a vaccination where you make little razor cuts and rub in a medicine. In this case, it's a powder made of special trees from the forest. This is meant both to make you able to dance and limber in those spots and also to protect you from envious people or other malevolent forces that you know may harm you because when you're on the spot in a solo dance, you're much more vulnerable to jealousies and other things. People were especially concerned that the little bit of blood that came from these little cuts would not be seen as going into any sorcery-type activity, so they disposed of the the tissues right away and in front of us and made a point to say as we were leaving that if anything bad happens to me, it's not because of this. <laughs> so When Michelle returned to our home camp, she found she had a whole new status. All of a sudden, I had this mystical power that I didn't really have a handle on what all it meant. It allowed for Bianca taking my interest in the music and dance much more seriously. They sort of saw me more as one of their own at that point. Of course, then they expected me to dance. <laughs> Which she did, eventually. For the whole story, check out the transcript of our interview with Michelle on afropop.org. It's fascinating. For instance, when Michelle did finally dance, no one told her directly uh, whether she had done it well or not. I heard someone saying to someone else that they had seen me dance and I danced well, so I was happy that that had been the rumor that was circulating. Let's hear some music. This is a song that accompanies the Elamba dance. It's called Natilonga Nakoko. I won't marry Coco. Yaka Pygmy song from the women's Elamba dance recorded by Michel Kisdok in the Central African Republic. As you can hear, this is most unusual music, at times a wall of sound, 
where it seems as if everyone is singing a different part. Michel says this tells you a lot about how Biaka live and interact, both in music and in life. What Biaka know in general quite well is how to be themselves in a group. And the music works very much that way. You're listening in an extremely fine way to each other while you're expressing your very particular voice in reaction and response to the group sound. And every once in a while, some people will sing a line or two together in unison, but then they'll break and go their own way as they're listening and interacting in very intricate ways with what they're hearing. We asked Michelle to break down the basics of Biaka singing style for us. Well, two of the things that pretty much immediately identify Biaka or forest people's style are the syllables, ia, iao, sometimes o, iae. Very few actual words, for the most part, are involved in the singing, especially as the songs get more elaborate over time. That's the one thing. The other thing is yodeling. And I should say that when I told Justin <laughs> that I wanted to learn how to sing like Biaka, he laughed and thought I never would be able to. And he said he would get a goat for me and have a big feast if I ever did. And one day I was at Justin's farm and I was just taking a walk in the woods nearby and I was singing and practicing, listening to how my voice would echo back to me from the forest canopy because that's a real important aspect of Biaka singing. You're listening to your own voice echo back and you're kind of singing with your own voice at the same time as with other people. But when I came back, I learned that Justin's great aunt had heard me singing and was wondering who these Biaka were who were walking by. So I thought, ah, I finally did it. So for Justin, I'd done the impossible, which was learn how to sing more or less like Biaka sing. So this song is for Mabo, which is a hunting dance. And uh, the way that I teach it is conceiving of it as a central phrase that repeats, and then lots of related phrases that go with it in this repeating cycle. We're hearing Michel Kisliok in New York City teaching a group of Americans to sing the Biaka song Makala. True to her original vision, Michelle not only learned how to perform Biaka songs and dances, but how to teach others to perform them. So let's put in some lower parts. Sounds like fun? Like to try singing a Biaka song yourself? Well, you're in luck. We've created a video of Michelle teaching the song Makala. So get a group of friends together and give this a try. I'm telling you, <laughs> there's nothing like it. Well, our video will 
show you all you need to know, and you can find it along with Michelle's interview, a Pygmy music discography, and much more at afropop.org. By the way, we are focusing on vocal music in this program, but pygmies also play instruments, starting with drums, of course, and rattles. Earlier, we heard the Indewi whistle, and there are also a variety of bow harps. This is a Bayaka harp, recorded by Luis Arno. Forest sounds in electric pop music and the effects of missionaries and modern times on the forest people when we continue. I'm Georges Collinet and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. Before we return to the forest of the Central African Republic with Michel Kisliok and Justin Mongoso, let's enjoy a musical interlude with the group Baka Beyond. The project goes back to 1992, when English singer-guitarist Martin Craddock and his wife Sue Hart went to live with Baka Pygmies near the Congo-Cameroon border. All these years later, they're still at it. Here's the title song from their 2009 CD, Beyond the Forest.
Africa Beyond on Afropop Worldwide's Hip Deep Dance with the forest people of Central Africa. And speaking of dancers... We are hearing Mabo, the dance Biaka used to ensure success on the hunt. Biaka sometimes hunt with spears, but more typically with nets. Justin and Michel explain how it works. There are many types of hunting, but the common one is with net. Somebody can have like a tree or four, you know, and with all this net, they can go around and like make a, a circle. And people will be in the middle of the circle to sing and you know, make the animal run into the nets. And somebody with a very strong voice will be you know, uh, leading people. And they will say, My voice is not that good, but they call this Mongombi. And it's like a, a man voice to, to express <laughs> the, the, the power, you know, the, the man power. There are two groups on the net hunt, the people that guard the nets, and that's either the women and children or the men. So let's say the women are guarding the nets, the men are way out beyond the semicircle, and they will all be shouting and also have branches to be hitting the leaves to scare the animals. So that'll be quite loud. Usually they're hunting for dikers, antelope. So blue dikers are really common, the little dikers. And musome is medium-sized. And then bemba, bemba is the larger diker. They can catch any animals, you know. They caught panther sometimes. Oh boy, I wouldn't want to be holding the net when a charging panther runs into it. Oosh. Guarding the net is very, very dangerous, and most of the time it's caused, it has been causing too much accident. Injuries. Yeah, injuries. Sometimes. I once saw a woman who'd been gored through the cheek with the horn of an antelope. Yeah. Sometimes uh, the panther can uh, bite somebody. You have to be careful, you have to be really. That's why they use all these you know, uh, uh, special magic and yeah. medicine as so, a protection. So you can master the nature, you can master what is going on. You have, your vision goes beyond you know, your, your body. And that brings us to the Mabo dance. In the evening, the dance, which sort of mimics the form of the hunt, will take place to make the hunt more efficacious and to celebrate whatever it is they've caught that day. By the way, the title of Michel's book, Seize the Dance, comes from a biaka expression that applies both to hunting and to dancing, pia e boca. This word pia, which is grab, like you grab an animal in the net, is the same word for starting up a dance, pia, pia e boca, we're going to start up the dance. So there's a parallel there too, that to grab something is to get something going. So let's get something going ourselves here. From the recordings of Michel Kisliok, more music from the Mabo dance. Oh, 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 o
Biaka music from the Mabonet hunting dance. We heard earlier that when a group of Biaka are singing together, they do a lot of improvising, changing and combining parts over a loose melodic cycle. So when you hear somebody next to you sing, yeah, la, la, oh, yeah, yeah, la, la, oh, oh, you might sing, yeah, ah, 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 yeah, la, la, oh, oh. And there's polyrhythm, polymeter going on underneath all the time. The Ah, polyrhythm. That's when two or more different rhythms combine to make a new one. In this case, we're talking about a two-beat rhythm. And a three-beat rhythm. So the twos and the threes are underneath all of this always. So when you never have just a single beat, you always have a second beat being felt underneath it, whether people are clapping along with that or if the singing is articulating different versions of twos and threes. With all this freewheeling improvisation going on in the singing parts and the rhythm, we come to a crucial fact about Central African forest music. To paraphrase Led Zeppelin, the song does not remain the same. In fact, it is different every time people perform it. As you might imagine, this complicated Michelle's task in learning this music, and it is one of her biggest challenges in teaching it to Westerners, who tend to learn a part and then stick to it. They might be learning to sound a little bit like Biaka to the point where Biaka could recognize the song, but they wouldn't really be singing in Biaka style because they wouldn't be being musically interactive and socially interactive. To illustrate how different performances of a Biaka song can be, we asked Michelle to tell us about two recordings of the same song. These recordings of Bakele were made on different days. The weather was different. One was earlier in the day and it was sunny and people were more energetic. So you can hear yo ya 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 yo bakalai maye version, it had just rained and people were gathering together at the tent site that Justin and I had set up. And Jongi and some of the other women and children and a couple of men came. And it was, you know, it was soggy, it was a little cold. People were tired. They hadn't found much on the hunt that day. And you can hardly hear that that I had identified as sort of a core theme. And the core theme can shift over time and circumstance as well. 
So the second version is, you might think of it as a much more sort of in a minor key, even though the, the pitch relationships are complementary, the emphasis is different. So you can hear Kwanga opening up the song and she does a little intro. Two versions of the Elamba dance song Bakele. These were both recorded at informal practice sessions. Now, let's hear a bit of the same song performed during an actual dance. version of Bakele, the energy changes once again and different melodic variations come forward. So imagine if the same Biaka song can sound this different when performed in one setting within a relatively short time period, how much can a song change over years or when moving from one group of people to another or when faced with influence and interference from outsiders? Michel observed forces of change affecting the Biaka she knew, and not just their music and dancers. For example, the egalitarian spirit between Biaka men and women showed signs of stress when they left the forest to be nearer the village. There would be more tension when the men were spending more time in the village and being paid in alcohol for their work for villagers and corn whiskey. So instead of coming home to the camp with meat, which is the normal thing that would give a man prestige, they just come home drunk and have nothing to offer, and then the women would be unhappy and then fights would break out. The other big stressor in my time there was the relatively new presence of missionaries from the Grace Brethren Church who were introducing some conflict among Biaka, those who were wanting to follow what the missionaries were saying and those who were not. Um, the missionaries were also demonizing Biaka music and dance in a way that made people say, oh, we're being satanic when we do our traditional dances, so we better stop. Other people are going back. So that was another level of tension. Over the years, Michelle had witnessed missionary activity and its effects among the Biaka. She encountered a Biaka settlement in Zanga, near the Congo border, where missionizing had dramatically curtailed traditional culture. But here is where, shall we say, the elasticity of the Biaka helps them adjust to new realities. In 2000, more than a decade after doing their original research, Michel and Justin returned to the region to see how things were changing. They found Elanga, a friend from their original Biaka camp. He had just moved his family deep into the forest and they were practicing new dances in bold defiance of the missionaries. 
Ilanga said, well, you know, it might be satanic, but if it's satanic, then I'm satanic and we're just going to do it, basically, because he wasn't about to give up his livelihood and his identity, really, for the sake of this argument that it was satanic. But at the same time, there was something else going on. At Zanga, that forest village that we first saw, all of the missionary influence being so extreme, people were inventing a new dance that they called the God Dance. And this dance integrated a bunch of different styles, their own Biaka style, the singing and dance style of the Bolemba pygmies, who have had a more of an integration with their neighbors, and then snippets both from different kinds of Christian sects in the village, songs and hymns from different sects, Catholic and Protestant, and also snippets of pop songs from the radio that they would have heard in the village. So it was a whole conglomeration of styles that I began to understand as sort of an assertion of modernity, that they were able to sort of harness all this and rearticulate it in a way that made them current and hip. Zonga village in the year 2000. On that return visit, Michel and Justin also found Christian elements working their way into the Biaka songs and dances at the forest camp where Elanga was living. In Elanga's camp, way in the forest, they were doing a lot of uh, new versions of the God dance as well. This was mostly the younger people. But they were doing this alongside new versions of hunting dances, Ijengi or Injengi, which is one of the most widespread and oldest uh, Biaka dances that invokes forest spirits and ancestral spirits. And there had been a new version of it um, being performed sort of alongside the God dance. But it was very controversial because they were sort of self-demonizing at the same time as they were performing these things. Self-demonizing because the Njangi dance was precisely the sort of thing the missionaries discouraged. Biak are very feared for their mystical powers, even though they themselves don't see themselves as doing anything malevolent. They can make themselves disappear, they can turn themselves into elephants. And they can make nice with missionaries without forgetting who they really are. Justin Mongoso has been an activist on behalf of the Biaka pretty much his entire life. The problem with foreign missionaries is that when they get somewhere among pygmy, they will impose their thinking, they will impose the pygmy to stop living the way they know, tell them to not to be themselves anymore. And without telling them the next step to take. But I think pygmies are very, very, very wise, very polite. 
because you, you can tell him oh, you do this we say yes i will do this you do this i will come tomorrow in the morning we, I, I, but we never do that it's a way they survive they've been surviving for you know millennium when you talk about the pygmies being caught like a slave I think they were, but they were very powerful people. Pygmies will never remain in jail, it will disappear. So I think now the missionary people are trying to weaken the powers. I will consider Pygmies like the last power in Africa right now, but uh, missionaries are trying to weaken it the same way they did to our ancestors. So it's the same thing going on and on. But I think they understand, they can sing when the pastor is there. The lady will come with a clothes, shoes, they will get it, they sing, but she leaves, they come back to their life. It's like a game. They understand what is going on. I would just have to say the other side of that, though, is to see other pygmies, not Biaka, but Bolemba, who in fact have pretty much lost a lot of their culture. So they may be resilient, but only up to a point. It depends on the circumstances. Today, the circumstances are serious. The equatorial rainforest is being devastated more rapidly than ever before. And as the Biaka are forced to adjust to new environments and influences, their culture is at risk. Justin Mongosso is working to help the Biaka cope with change. But more is needed. Just as it requires international involvement to save the rainforest, the Biaka also deserve support from the outside world. Still, Michel is confident that pygmy cultures will survive in some form. After all, they were never really pure to begin with. Pygmies have always had to adapt. Living culture goes through cycles of structure and change, structure and change. Over time, it may end up looking very different, but it keeps a strain of something as it goes along. Biaka have this idea that one dance gives birth to another dance, sort of a genetics of dancing, so that even if it's you know a new dance, it has come from, it's been born from another dance. Musicologists who want to think of pygmy music as sort of a pure bubble of egalitarian utopia, they set themselves up for disappointment and set Biaka up for being automatically degraded because nothing is ever pure. It's always in relationship with what's around it. That's the dialectic of living culture. Michel and Justin have much more to say about the future of the Biaka, and you can read it all on our website. You can also find links to Michel's videos of the Biaka and learn to sing a Biaka song from Michel on video. All that and much more on afropop.org. Before we go, we need to hear how pygmy music has influenced the region's urban dance pop. But first, funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art, and PRI, Public Radio International affiliate stations around the U.S. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. Additional funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from Celebrate Brooklyn in Prospect Park, Free concerts featuring distinguished artists from around the world. More info at bricartsmedia.org slash bcbf. And from City Parks Foundation's Summer Stage Festival, presenting free concerts in all five New York boroughs, featuring Mavis Staples, Toto Labon Pocina, Daime Arosena, and more. 
More info at summerstage.org. We're hearing the band Zokela Original with their 1988 hit, Lalobai. Lalobai is a region of the Central African Republic, and the song makes affectionate reference to the forest people who live there. Michel says that from their beginnings, Zokela introduced the forest flavor to the classic Congo sound. Zokela was based in the Lobai area, Mbaiki, and there aren't Biaka who live right there, but there are the other pygmies, the Mbati. But what Zokela did that was revolutionary in the 70s was take the traditional rhythms and melodies and harmonies of the Lobai and incorporate them into a modern urban dance style, which was happening in a lot of places in Africa, but this was very particular to CAR. And it took the place by storm. People loved it. A Zokela National rehearsal Michelle recorded during her field work in the Central African Republic in 2000. Justin Mongoso points out that it has been difficult for Central African Republic bands to establish an individual identity right next door to the powerhouses of Congo Kinshasa and Congo Brazzaville. But there have been successes like Muziki, Zokela and Makembe, another band that has put local roots into their music. Let's hear a bit of Makembe. to go out with a very popular song by the band Zokela. It's called Tawili and is sung by Zokela frontman Kaida Monganga. Tawili is a name that is like a character of somebody a little bit stupid. But Monganga says that Tawili was, you know, he left, he struggled and he left the country, he went to study somewhere and from this he succeeded. So his father was proud of him because people didn't think he was going to succeed. But anyway, he did. So his father was very proud of him and he said, no, now he's not a Dawid anymore, he's a, a man able to, to help the family. So when, when they play Dawili, people will dance differently. Different steps, different style of dancing. Oh, oh.
Republic Zokera closing out this hip deep edition of Afropop Worldwide. Thanks to Michel Kisyok and Justin Mongoso for their fantastic work and their help with this program. And remember to visit afropop.org to read our complete interview with Michel and Justin and to watch our video teaching you how to sing a Biaka song. And write us at info at afropop.org to share your experiences, recordings, and why not, send a video. Thanks also to the Virginia Foundation for the Humanities in Charlottesville for recording our interview with Michel and Justin, and to New York University for hosting our video shoot. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions, research and production for this program by Banning Air. Join us next week for another edition of Afropop Worldwide. Our chief audio engineer and co-producer is Michael Jones. Additional engineering by Mike Kaplan and Alistair Sim. Banning Air and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our director of new media is Akornefa Achia. And I'm Georges Collinet. R.I. Public Radio International.